welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Julian English, who is a performer, ex-AFL national Canadian player and all-round good human being. I really enjoyed having this conversation with her. We talked uh, about sort of feminist issues, which I tend to... Um, I don't know, I feel a strange reluctance to talk about them because I feel like there are many places where they're being talked about exhaustively, um, but they are a hobby horse of Jillian's and so I enjoyed sort of unpacking them with her. Now there's some cool news for my Patreon subscribers. Patreon subscribers, I have made the full uh, video of The Resistance, my most recent show, available on Patreon for $5 subscribers. I, uh, it's come... So the deal that I made with the ABC who screened it on television and on iview was that once they finished screening it, the rights revert to me. So I'm not making it publicly available because I'm still trying to sort of shop it round and see if I can, you know, sell it onto international platforms and so on and so forth. But I've had enough people asking me uh, if they can watch it, people who didn't get a chance to see it on the ABC, people who didn't get, didn't, weren't in Australia or couldn't figure out how to make their computers pretend they were in Australia for the purposes of watching it, that I wanted to put it up and make it available. There's sort of difficulties in putting it up on another platform, making it publicly available, making it a kind of a purchase thing with PayPal and all of that. So I'm just making it available to the $5 Patreon subscribers. If you're a $1 Patreon subscriber or a small amount, uh, the way to do that would be to up your pledge just for the month and then down it again. If you have friends who you'd like to uh, show it to, um, please ask them to do that as well. I mean, you could just share it and share the password, but I'd really appreciate it if you didn't uh, because it's a thing that I put a huge amount of work into and... Um, I would like it not to be sort of free and available in the wild. It's that thing where if you tell one person a secret, it tends to spread. They'll tell one person the same secret and it goes like that. So I'm sort of trusting you in this instance to um, not fuck me over <laughs> if you would be so kind. If you can't afford the $5, send me an email at alicerfraser at gmail.com and we'll figure something out uh, if, you still want, if you really want to see the show but you just can't afford five dollars um for the month uh so as i said if you can get if you want to show it to your friends and they're not subscribers can you just get them to subscribe for the month put a little reminder in your phone to unsubscribe patreon makes it pretty painless it's not that kind of thing where it secretly steals from you once a month if you don't want it to so uh that's i'm not just trying to trick you into subscribing to my patreon this is uh sort of the easiest way to do what i'm wanting to do with this show at the moment so other than that thank you everybody who's been emailing me thank you everyone who's come to see empire at uh, the adelaide fringe in these early iterations of the show it's still that laborious process of of getting it from being nothing to being a show and coming off the back of a show where where you've polished it and refined it and worked it to you know as perfect a version as you can get to suddenly be on stage with nothing, with all these untried jokes and unwrestled through ideas, is it's confronting because you think you go from thinking, "Oh, I'm quite good at this," to thinking, "Oh, am I good at this at all? Can I, can I repeat, can I repeat that lightning in a bottle experience? It can't be the same show. It has to be a new show. It has to be a completely new thing." So, thank you everybody who's come in, in the early days to help me achieve that. I'm hoping that by the end of Adelaide, it will be 
a very good show and I've had some very nice reviews in the early days so that's promising N not that reviews mean anything <laughs> or do they I don't know they're, they're a nice a nice bit of feedback that somebody at least one person in your audience enjoyed it enough to give it a good review that said I am now blithering uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter at alliterative a-l-i-t-e-r-a-t-i-v-e my website's alicefraser.com as ever. My Facebook's active. My Patreon's active. I'm doing blogs and all of that sort of thing. Thank you so much for listening. You're having tea with Alice. So, would you like to tell my listener what you're drinking and who you are? Uh, yes, my name is Jillian English and I'm drinking a San Pellegrino uh, orange soda. Say, and... Um, Arenciata. Very nice. Ooh. Very nice. And you are a? I am a storyteller and stand-up comic. That's interesting. You embrace the title storyteller. Sorry? You embrace the title storyteller. Storyteller, yeah. There's the storytelling scene in Canada is much, 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 much larger than it is in Australia. I find um, that really interesting because I always cringe away from the title storyteller. I think maybe in Australia there are a lot of people with sort of asymmetrical hairstyles and big <laughs> dangly earrings who call themselves storytellers. Mm, I'm a storyteller and I associate it with that. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's totally different in Canada. There's a very large storytelling scene. There's lots of shows. There's um, lots of storytelling podcasts. And yeah. uh, it's it's a lot of fun because you get to actually... It's, it's like doing stand-up. You're crafting a bit, but the bit is a story. Yeah. Um, and the art of storytelling is so specific and so wonderful and there's just so many amazing storytellers in Canada it's it's a whole it's a whole thing it's a whole thing I think maybe part of the problem in Australia is we've got this kind of tall poppy syndrome so we don't like people who give themselves titles or who acknowledge their skills in that way they don't, okay you know, not a lot of people don't like to describe themselves as having status in a way and I think storyteller is a status of a kind perhaps I mean for me it's the same as saying I'm a stand-up comic because yeah. it's you go to a storytelling show and you tell a story yeah so and the, there are so many storytelling shows is in Toronto and in in Montreal um so I I just yeah the same as you'd be like yeah I do stand-up um I act in film and television and I tell stories have you been wrestling with any ideas recently? Have you had anything where you're like not sure what you think about it or you've been have fighting to have yourself heard or Oh what with with like a new story or well, just in life generally? Oh god, yeah. Like all day every day. Um, cuz I I do feminist work. Mm -hmm. Um and so I just find myself encountering people who uh you know don't want don't want to hear that and they're usually the people who do have to hear it and so um that that's why i find it helps to be a storyteller with a background in acting and theater because i i'm aware of how to create a narrative and if you can create a narrative and a, and a, a straightforward uh idea of what it is you want to say it makes conveying an argument or an idea to someone who may not necessarily want to hear it a lot easier because you can be very clear and straightforward yeah i find that really interesting it's one of the reasons why i don't label myself a feminist comedian because mm -hmm. I want to have the people in the audience who are not the people who would necessarily be open to that or yeah. interested in, in hearing a kind of a political argument. But I, I, I wrestle with that sometimes because obviously I am, I'm an educated woman, mm -hmm. I'm an unmarried woman, I'm a woman who is, you know, 
doing something that's very sort of individualistic, very male-dominated. And so by definition, I am on the side of women. Yes, of course. Uh, because I want, I mean, not, not just because I want to be allowed to do what I want to do, but because yeah. I want other people to be allowed to do what they want to do. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I do what I, I do as well. Because um, I did a show called Get Around Me, which was about a uh, sexual assault that happened to me when I played Australian rules football. And um, was it a mixed um, it gender was, team? Or? No, I was I was playing for Team Canada for the women's team, and it was. Um, uh, a person who was a friend of the the male players, but the on the team Canada men's team, but the several of the men on the men's team encouraged this man to assault me because they thought it would be funny at a party. Uh, and AFL Canada never did anything about it. So I I ended up doing my show um, not necessarily for revenge or any kind of of retribution, but because that is a thing that happens to so many women. All the time, not just in football, but in, in many sports and, and in many, and just in male-dominated arenas. That's just a thing that happens, and we're often bullied into being silent because I knew damn well that if I started talking about this, I would never get to play football again. Yeah, and that's that was just how that was going to be. But for me, that was a small price to pay to try to make sure that the other women would be safe. So we can't undo what happened to me, but I can make an effort to protect in whatever way I can the women around me who are too afraid for whatever reason and there are plenty of reasons to be afraid to speak up so that's why I I do what I do here's an argument that I'm sure you have encountered in doing this particular thing why did you want to go to the AFL authorities rather than for example the police I did go to the police ah well okay I did go to the police Uh, the person who assaulted me was arrested he was charged with three counts of indecent assault and was banned from Australia for 10 years. Plus, he had to pay a $5,000 fine plus court fees. So, well, that was the person who assaulted me. That yeah. wasn't the people who encouraged him to do that. And why, why I want AFL Canada to do something, they never will, but is because they're representing Canada. Yeah. They have the maple leaf on their chest. Mm-hmm. Canada does not stand for misogyny or sexual assault or the the belittling of women that yeah. is that is not what my country is about that is not the organization that i was a part of and the thing is is i understand that afl canada was trying to protect themselves but what really upset me about that was that i was afl canada i too had the maple leaf on my chest i had afl canada the crest on my jumper so where was my protection That's that is what bothered me the fact that we won a world championship, but it didn't matter if, if some guy wants to shove his fingers in me while the, the rest of them laugh. Well, hey, that's fine because they're boys and I'm a girl and I'm not okay with that. So and that, answers my, yeah, that answers my question, which was, uh, I mean, not why didn't you go to the police because you did go to the police, but why is it that institutions that are not you know, criminal legal institutions mm-hmm. should be held responsible or should have some accountability for the behavior of their membership yeah and that's actually probably the most cogent uh articulation of that particular defense that i've heard oh thank you it just it's uh it's been very important to me because you know you dream your whole life of representing your country at a sporting event i wasn't even a sporty person but you watch the olympics you're like oh man it's just a thing i want to do and you finally get the opportunity and then something horrible happens to you and all of a sudden you're abandoned and you're alone and and you've you've spent months and years with these people saying we're a team we do this together we support each other we get around each other that is how 
this sport works. This is, this is how this community works. But then the second you need someone to get around you and support you, all of a sudden everybody's gone. And all of a sudden it's your fault and you need to be quiet and you, you need to shut up and maybe you shouldn't have been drinking and maybe it's your own fault. And all of these things which are horrible excuses that are invalid and, and don't matter. And so that's why... I was, they, they tried to bully me into being silent. They said if, if I wrote a show about my, this incident that I would ruin my career, that I would be the rape girl. And I was like, well, you know what? I already am the rape girl. So you want to dance? Let's dance. Let's go. Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of them. And I'm, n- I'm, not, afraid of, I'm not afraid of being the rape girl. Because if that means that there's one woman out there who realizes that what happened to her is wrong and she starts to stand up and, and maybe, maybe if we all stand up and we get so loud, they'll stop raping us just so that we'll shut up. <laughs> like, who knows? A girl can dream. But um, yeah, it's, it's can, there's that thing of make it more difficult for them to say no to you than for them to say yes to you. Yeah, it it's were. just I'm, I'm fed up and I'm angry and I'm not afraid. So I think that's a really dangerous combination for people who think that they can push me. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing because I, and this is something I'm sort of obsessed with is people who are very consistently vocal about their politics being in the right place who then sort of fall down when it comes to action or even reaction, yeah. which is easier than action. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say... Oh, I'm not. You know, I, I I don't believe that women should be made to feel vulnerable. But it's not like I'm going to go volunteer in a women's shelter because yeah. I've got my own life and I'm barely keeping my head above water and all of that stuff. So I can't be proactive in that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So you're not even if you're not asking somebody to be really active in their politics, you at least expect them to be, be supportive. Yeah, reactive or, when yeah when it's, when it's put in a plate right on front right in front of you, put on a plate right in yeah. front of you. Good, uh, good sentence making, Fraser. Um, but when it's it's basically offered to you on a plate, the opportunity to stand behind your words, very many people back off. Of course, I mean my whole team, my t- my team that I played with for five years in Toronto. I came back because the championships were in Australia. I came back. I told them what happened to me, and every single one of those women who are my friends, who have been my teammates for five years, they just sat there. They yeah. didn't do anything. So I took off my jumper, I took off my kit, and I just left it on the ground and I walked away. Because yeah. that's, 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 that tells me what I need to know. Um, and, yeah. and what I encounter a lot is a lot of people who are afraid of confrontation. But I have found that a lot of times I will be told that I'm being confrontational. But I don't think I'm necessarily being confrontational so much as I'm discussing things that really, truly need to be discussed. And people are so afraid of actually talking about that or, or the possibility of disagreement or the possibility of finding out that they were wrong. And I'm wrong all the time. Uh, and what I've learned is the, the best way to move forward and, and to, to, be, to be a better person and to be a better protector and ally is to admit when you're wrong immediately and then take in that lesson and figure out where you can go from there, why you made that mistake and how you can avoid making it in the future. But this, this fear of, of quote-unquote confrontation is, is bizarre and silly because sometimes there are just, there are things that really truly need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And part of being an adult is you have to discuss these things. So stop being afraid of basic communication with other people. Stop being afraid that perhaps you, if you hear something, it might alter your worldview. That could be spectacular. The whole, a whole new universe could open up to you if you just listen and, and stop 
being so concerned with being right all the time. Well, this is kind of the thing. At the moment, we have a culture where a lot of people are being rewarded for saying the right things, like particularly online where words feel like action mm-hmm. you can you can perform in this way and have have almost all of the benefits of you know as you call it being an ally or you know having your heart in the right place being the good person without having to back it up in any way or and the punishment for people who who fail to sort of step up to the mark is non-existent or negligible compared with a curated identity which they can maintain over years and years and years and never have challenged. Mm -hmm. I think the problem has come from very well-meaning people celebrating their own well-meaningness. Yeah. But meaning meaning well... Doesn't doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. At the end of the day, you got to get out there and do the work. You have to... And, and that could be as simple as telling your story when people don't think you should because it makes other people uncomfortable. I did get around me at the Adelaide Fringe last year. I had one review that wouldn't even give me a rating because they said it wasn't a show. It's an hour-long storytelling show, which is just a solo show. Uh, it had... Beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, it, it had a beginning and a middle and an end. It had projection. Uh, <laughs> it had it had all kinds of things. But this person, I suppose, they had never encountered a storytelling show before. I maybe I don't know. She's like, oh, it was great. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. I would give it five stars, but it's not a show. And I had another reviewer come. He gave me one and a half stars because he thought it was great while I was talking about football. But once I started talking about sexual assault, that made him uncomfortable. So one and a half stars. Um, so yeah, you can you can you can do that. You can go out and 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 try, or you can do something as simple as like I was at uh, I was at the the Adelaide Fringe Club the other night, and I saw a woman start to scream at a man and say, "Get away from me! Leave me alone!" And I saw a lot of people looking, but I got up and went over there to ask her if she was okay and if she was safe. Now. I'm not necessarily saying you should always insert yourself into other people's situations, but if I see a woman who is upset and seems afraid and is asking a man to leave her alone and he won't leave her alone, you better believe I'm going to get in there and make sure that she is safe. And she said that she was and her friends came over. And so I was like, if you need anything, I'm right there. Um, Because it's happened to me and I, I just don't have it in me to sit there and watch everybody stare at this woman who's begging like for help by screaming so loudly, right? She's in a sea of people. Please leave me alone. Go away. Leave me alone. And everyone's just staring. Yeah. Go over and be a physical presence. Help people. Like that's, it's not hard. Get up off your ass. Walk over. Are you okay? Are you safe? Yes, because the, I mean, there are two sort of worst case scenarios. Either the person who is a problem attacks you mm-hmm. physically, so that's a, a real risk. And yep, and that is a very real risk. And you always have to be smart about it. The much more likely scenario of sort of failure in that is that she'll say, oh, I'm fine, and yep. you're slightly embarrassed. I, have, I haven't been embarrassed in a long time. <laughs> I just, well, no, I get embarrassed, but it's just uh, being embarrassed isn't, I don't think it's a necessarily bad thing. So what? You're embarrassed for half a second. But if, if I had sat there and for some and, and two seconds later he had hit her, then I would have, that's something I, w- I wouldn't have been able to 
well, it's be a, okay with. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I don't like conflict at all. And so one of the ways that I sort of, uh, I guess, train myself uh, to to be able to interfere is just offering people help. Mm-hmm. So someone's having trouble getting up the stairs or, or you know, getting their baby's pram down some oh, know, yeah. off the bus. Or if you just make it a, a habit to remember that you are part of a society, mm-hmm. that even strangers are your community. Yeah, we are all citizens. Well, like in a, in a legal sense, yes. um, there's a quite, a, quite a, an important case called Donahue versus Stevenson, Donahue mm-hmm. against Stevenson, which was... Uh, sort of pivotal in in tort law for establishing the principle that you have a duty of care to your neighbour and that your neighbour constitutes anyone who might be likely to be affected by your actions. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, anybody who is around you is your neighbour. Yeah. And you have a duty of care to them. I mean, not to be negligent in that Mm -hmm. case, but also to look after them. Yeah. And I mean, and you always have to, like, I was in a very public place... There was security. It was, you know, you always want to make sure that you're you're being safe about what, what you're doing as well. And you don't want to just stick your nose into everybody's businesses. But, you know, that was something I wasn't walking away from. And then, and it happens, there's other little things, you know. You, you see a girl passed out in the bathroom. Mm. You make sure that girl's okay, right? You ask her where her friends are. You send a text if you need to. You go get her some water, like... That's, I don't, I I hope it's not a Canadian thing. Like you just, I I wouldn't walk past, or even like, you know, you encounter a guy. It doesn't matter. If someone's all messed up, you help them out. You don't, you don't have to pay for their cab or anything, but don't, don't just, don't just turn a blind eye to all of the things that are happening around you that is unacceptable. Yeah, and it's, it's an intru- my brother pulled a guy out of a burning car at one point and he was part of a, a group of people who were going to quite an important event uh, and everyone else sort of just drove past because the event they were going to was so important and this man was in a car that was on fire. Mm-hmm. Like How important is an event that someone has to die for it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, that... That of course there are going to be barriers in the way of your life. Yeah. But it's worth taking a moment to sort of. Yeah. Just, I, I, one of the things I try to tell people when, when they're like, when they ask me to explain, um, rape culture or or why I'm such an ardent feminist or why I must be so vocal, um, one of the things I try to tell them to do is to just look around just look around a little bit because people are like well I've never seen a woman be sexually harassed I was like yes you have I guarantee you have there is no way you are an adult male in in a first world country and you've never seen someone be harassed yes you have you just need to open your eyes and pay attention you need to stop looking at it from your point of view and and try to be empathetic and and look at it from someone else's point of view because if we all just go around living our own little bubble lives then of course nothing bad ever happens to anybody else but us it's an interesting phenomenon i do think that uh guys see it less because in some ways the presence of men good men or men as witness is is a protection oh of course so i had this guy um who's who sort of hangs out on the corner of where i live 
and I usually go round the other way because his his particular um, mental illness manifests in when you walk past, he leaps up and sort of throws scraps of newspaper and alfoil at you and, and shouts either incoherently or profanely mm-hmm. at you, right? And it's a, yep. it's a startling occasion. Occasionally I'll forget not to go that way and it'll yeah. happen and it'll give you a bit of a shock to the system. He's generally harmless, but it's not a great addition to a day, mm-hmm. particularly if you're already feeling a little bit anxious or frazzled or whatever. Um, and I was walking with my friend who's a very big guy and we were going that way just because I was deep in conversation and it is the quickest way home. And as we came up to the corner, I saw the guy and I was like, ah, oh, no. And I, I was about to sort of warn him or mention it or reach out to him. And the guy, I saw the guy gathering himself to leap because he was in my, in mm-hmm. my line of vision. I had that sort of predator uh, a moment of startlement and he gathered himself to leap and he was halfway out of his crouch and then he clocked my friend his like survival instinct cut in and he just made it like a bloop and went straight back down yep and we kept walking and i was like oh that was that was weird and he's like what what do you mean and he's like that guy normally sort of leaps up and he said oh which guy so the that 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 moment wasn't even present in his world because mm-hmm. the guy was not a threat to him of course there was no there was no there was no startlement you know well and the thing is is like i often talk to my father about the the things that happened to me you know um someone touching me without consent some you know being harassed on the street and my dad's always like well if i were there i would have done this and i'm like well dad if you were there it would never have happened because there, there was one time in Toronto when my parents were visiting and I was walking ahead of them because I walk quickly and uh, a guy came out in front of me and he put his bike crossways across the sidewalk so I couldn't pass. And I was like, you know, buddy, move your bike. Like, come on. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, baby, you're not going anywhere till I get what I want from you. And then I started to lose my temper and I was like, you're not getting anything. And he's like, oh, are we going to have a problem here, baby? And then by that point, my very large, very angry father had cut off. And he's like, well, I have a problem here. And I've never seen a man go from thinking he has very high status to having the lowest status ever. He was just like, I just got so afraid and like got on his bike and rode off. And my dad was like, I'm going to get him. And was like, my 63-year-old father is going to chase a man down an icy sidewalk in Toronto. And I was like, no, it's fine, dad. But the thing is, is that happens every day maybe not that exact interaction but something like that happens every day to me and to every woman you see walking down the street here and you cannot be there all of the time to be my intimidating father behind me although that was one of the funniest things i've ever seen i had this delightful and incredibly uncomfortable moment at a a live rock and roll karaoke night in Sydney, which is run by Dave Eastgate, who's a lovely man, a lovely performer. It's a great night. It's mm-hmm. a, an incredibly joyous experience because it's rock and roll, like it's heavy rock and roll. And then there's these people coming up on stage and the band is incredible and people are either good, in which case they shine and mm-hmm. they get to be a star or they're not good, in which case the band comes in and supports them. And it's just this really wonderful human experience. And and I took my dad out to it because uh, uh, sometime after my mum died, just to kind of as a as a as a moment of joy and human interaction, and 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 I went up to sing a song, and Dave Eastgate, in the way that MCs sometimes do, introduced me 
in a slightly rambling, frazzled way. He said, oh, this is Alice Fraser. She's been getting around the comedy scene for a couple of years. And when I say getting around, you could just see his mind in that improv mode. Mm. When I say getting around, I mean, like, she's fucking a lot of guys. Oh, not that many guys, but definitely some guys. And, uh, I mean, that's not true. I have a, prin- yeah. a principle of not... Um, a, not talking about my relationships, but B, not engaging with mm-hmm. comedians or performers because I have a survival instinct. Yeah, <laughs> <And> I know. <laughs> I should stop dating comics. And uh, I went up and I sang my song and I got off stage and I walked to the back of the room and as I was walking to the back of the room, my dad walked up the central aisle of the room, walked up, got onto the stage Oh wow! and said, I'd like you to apologise to my daughter. And Dave Eastgate was like, well, who do you think you are? Oh, Alice's dad. I guess you're Alice's dad. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, and then dad was like, thank you, and got off the stage and walked to the back of the room. And I was overwhelmed with this, like, potent mix of, like, simultaneous embarrassment and pride and, like, because I would never have called Dave Eastgate out on that. But it mm-hmm. did make me feel uncomfortable because yeah. it's not true. And but then I was like, oh, well, he was emceeing and, you know. But, wh- but why Why do you need to be objectified in that way? Yeah, well, I it's mean. It's something that, oh, it drives me I could me understand nice. it yeah. from the performance perspective of he was just in fight or flight mode and saying mm-hmm. whatever came to his head. But the, that, that was what came to his head. Mm-hmm. And that it was inappropriate and that it did make me feel slightly uncomfortable. Less uncomfortable because I'm used to it, but not, it's no, not a better thing for that. Um, and it was, yeah, it was this incredible thing where I think, I think a lot of guys on the left feel like the, the job of men is sort of done, that masculinity is toxic and so they become effete or they become these sort of man boys because they don't want to be seen as men because men are dangerous. But I think there's still room for men. Like we haven't, we haven't won yet and part of the role of men has always been and will for a while be until we achieve equality, making spaces safe. Exactly. For women. I yeah. mean, in the state of nature, women are weaker than men. We mm-hmm. are victims. And so the role for men is to make a space of safety so that we can have that kind of, even if it is an illusion created by civilization, we can have that equality. Where, where And it was just really interesting to see my dad, you know, he's 60 and... and he was a very strong and imposing man yeah. in his time and he still has that kind of dignity. And I, I asked him, I said, what would you have done if he hadn't apologised? And Dad said, this is a Buddhist meditation teacher, very calm <laughs> man. He said, I would have made him apologise. Oh, yeah. My father's, my father's response to everything is just bash them. He's like, <laughs> he's just, pun- he just punched them. And I'm like, oh, Daddy, I can't go around punching everyone that belittles or harasses or assaults me, I would be in prison. Like, it's just, can't always do that. But I, I do agree, like, it is, I'm I'm 5'11", I'm a football player, I've got a goodly amount of aggression behind me, and I, I've always seen myself as a protector for my tinier friends, you know, for the for the women who aren't giant and angry like me. Um, but it's it's so nice every once in a while to have someone who's even a little bit bigger than me, be like, no, I got you, you know? Uh, there was one time someone was harassing me and one of my, my guy friends was like, this could go a couple ways. I could take care of this. I could watch you take care of this. We can take care of this together. But it, it was, it's just nice to know that you don't always have to fight the fight alone. 
and and it doesn't for me it doesn't matter if I've got another woman who could be giant or teeny or it's another guy as long as I have some support as long as I have someone who understands what's happening and doesn't try to make me feel as though whatever's happening is somehow my fault because I was born with a vagina like I I just I, I just need that support and I have so many wonderful friends male and female who are on my team and when I did lose my team after um, after I told my my footy team what had happened so many other people came around me to support me and it was almost all performers so my actual football team they were gone but all these wonderful nerdy storytellers and comedians and improvisers and sketch comics they would not let me down and it was so heartening. Yeah. I, I, sometimes, if I'm in the mood for it, I'll take the time to explain. Because I think, you know, the, the immediate response of, like, punch them, I don't think very many people have ever been persuaded by no. uh, losing a fight, which is to say maybe they wouldn't lose even. But, you know, I've had that where I was going home very late at night. I, I used to live in New York and occasionally there'd be guys. And I think it's partly a cultural thing mm -hmm. or a class thing, but they'd come up and be like, hey, baby, give me a number. And there was one time when it was about four very big guys. And I was like, hey, no, thank you. Um, and they were like, oh, we're just being friendly. And I said, I, like, I understand that your impulse is a friendly impulse and I, I really appreciate that that. that but... From my perspective, I'm alone. This is not my country. You're four very big men, and I'm just wanting to go home. And then I said, you give me your number, and I'll call you if I feel like it in the morning. And, of course, didn't call them. But yeah. it was just that trying to remind them that you're a person, trying to, trying to think about the impact of what you're saying rather than just thinking about the impulse. Yeah. Like I, like, I had a guy in Perth at Fringe World. It was 3.30 in the morning, and I was walking home. I had my headphones in, and all of a sudden, I could kind of hear and see peripherally this person, like, running behind me. And he, he wasn't slowing down, so, you know, I was like, okay, let's make ourselves safe. I took out one headphone. I made sure I got myself in a proper stance to be physically defensive because these are the things I think about at 3.30 in the morning when someone's chasing me. And I just, I stopped. I held my ground. This guy came well, particularly around. Particularly in light of last year, your producer was punched in that, a similar area. Yeah, she, she, she almost died. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so this guy, uh, he comes up, he gets in front of me, and he's like, wait, stop, stop. I was like, what, what do you want? Like, because there's part of you who's like, well, you know, maybe I dropped my wallet, and he's just bringing it back. Or like, who knows, mm -hmm. right? Maybe he's a nice guy. And he's like, I just, I want to talk to you. And I was like, no. He's like, but I, just, I think you're really pretty, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to talk to you, and I want to talk to you, so you, just, you have to stop and talk to me. I was like, no. No, I don't. Do you understand what you're doing right now? And he's like, but I just, I want to talk to you so badly, so you have to talk to me. And I was like, no. It's 3.30 in the morning. You just physically chased me down the street. You're currently impeding my ability to move forward to where I want to go. Okay, I had headphones in as well. And the thing is, it doesn't matter how much you want to talk to me because I don't want to talk to you. And you are not entitled to my time. You're not entitled to my attention. And you're sure shit not entitled to my physical person. So I'm going to need you to move <laughs> now. And, I mean, how hard is it 
to have to explain to someone that chasing them down the street in the middle of the night is not okay. It's like, terrifying. And it's and I had to be, you know, my friend was like, well, at least it happened to you. I hear that a lot. People are because like, a lot of stupid shit happens to me. I, and I, I don't know if it's because I have big boobs or what, but I get so much bullshit I would rather not deal with. And all I ever hear is, at least it happened to you because you're big and you're strong and you can you can explain to them why they shouldn't be doing this. You can very articulate, very articulately, <laughs> I'm articulate. You can, you, can really, you can really explain to them very clearly why they should stop doing what they're doing. So at least it happened to you. But it, it doesn't just happen to me. And, and I'm, I'm really tired of this stuff happening to me. It's exhausting. It is exhausting to every day being like, okay, well, yep, let's, let's reach into the old book of explanations on why chasing women down the street is not okay. <laughs> um, and it's, it's exhausting. And this, this idea that because I'm strong, I should be able to take on everything for everybody else. It's, it's also bullshit. Like, I'm tired. It's, it's exhausting trying to be so strong all the time. Do you think that there is a better solution? Um, it, it, no, I, I honestly don't know. Because it, it's just... Um, uh, no, uh, unless, unless I can convince people to stop being extra mean to me because they think it's okay to be extra mean to me just because I'm tough. Or um, to stop hanging their shit on me just because I'm so tall, I look like a coat rack. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but it's, ex- it's exhausting. And I know I'm not the only one it happens to, but I just... I think it's interesting. I think part of it has to do with the idea that your body is a choice. Yeah. And some of it is obviously uh, depend you know depending on going to the gym or mm-hmm. you know, plastic surgery or all of all of that stuff but i think certainly um women's bodies are seen as a deliberate choice that when yeah. you walk out of the house with your boobs they're part of an outfit that you've chosen to wear yeah i, I used to have a drama teacher that would be like uh in english like oh put your tits away and i'm like where <laughs> they don't come off like just there's just pop them into your lungs for a bit yeah like it's physical mass yeah Wh- where am i meant to put them what am i meant to do with them um and and it's and it's it's so it's bizarre because they're they're this curiously sexualized object that you're supposed to be proud of and ashamed of all at the same time yet they serve absolutely no purpose they get me attention that i don't want from people i don't want it from they limit my fashion choices uh it makes it almost impossible to play sports because i have to order uh, sports bras from very specific places um and then the only thing that they're actually really good for is breastfeeding but that's been demonized as well because that's a sexualized object and you can't use it for its base function it's basically pedophilia because you're putting a sex object into a baby's mouth <laughs> obviously you should be ashamed and disgusted um it's just uh, i i think and and i i don't know i don't know we'd have to we could do a master's thesis on the sexualization of the female breast and i think it's it's just a nipple yeah but i mean they're just they're big and they're there and there's nothing i can do about it and and no Aaron, my drama teacher, I can't put them away. So maybe be less distracted by the fat sacks hanging off the front of me. 
Well, yeah, that it is an interesting thing because at some points in life they are sexual objects or you do want to look attractive. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird sort of inequality in the ways that, uh, you know, if a guy is very well-dressed or looking particularly sexy, it is not assumed that he is hitting on every woman in the room. Yeah. Whereas part of the kind of narrative that we're given and probably, I don't know, some biological thing is that women are seen as being open to many comers and then men get to kind of fight for her favour. Yeah, you're like a cat presenting. Yeah, and Ugh. then it's sort of whoever, whoever wins the race, whoever chases you down the fastest yeah. w- w- wins. But then there's also this strange um, thing where men are... Ash- I read an interesting article that uh, said that men are ashamed of their sexuality and so they blame you for turning them on. You turned them on. It was not that they became turned on or they, choose, they chose to be attracted to you. So then it's your fault, not only that they are attracted to you, but that you then have sort of made them attracted to you mm-hmm. and, and then re- re- yeah. refused. You yeah. are, you're a tease for being attractive and not available. And then, you know, you're a slut if you're attractive and available. So there's not yeah. really a way to win, there's no way to win that prize other than to make yourself deliberately unattractive, which is then also seen as a, some sort of betrayal of... Yeah, because... You know, you, why aren't you smiling? You'd why be, you, oh. you'd look a lot prettier if you wore dresses. Yeah. So on and so forth. I do not respond well to being told to smile. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, there's there's no way to win because if you're, if you're too thin, then you're too thin. If you're too fat... You know, you're a slob and you don't care about yourself. And there's just, uh, there's, there's, there's no ideal woman. And we're all told that somehow we have to be that person. And that person doesn't exist. So if you could just stop and let me live, I would really appreciate it. There's quite a good, I think it was Angelina Jolie. I could be misquoting it. Someone said, oh, I wish everyone wants, to, everyone wishes that they looked like you. I think it's in Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. This could be a complete misattribution, but very attractive woman and in this incredibly beautiful outfit looking perfect and they said i wish you could, i could look like you in tomb raider and she said i wish i could look like that yeah <laughs> because it's not real it's not real none of it is real um i i used to i used to be a bit when i played footy at a national level i was more fit i was uh, i i was tinier um not like not much littler, but like my waist was a bit more narrow and, and there was a little bit less fat on my tummy. Um, and even then I was just like, ugh, I'm still huge. I would be looking at the other football players I played with who played different positions. So they had different body types. I was a fullback. I just knocked people over all day. That was my job. <laughs> um, so it's important for me to be big and strong and sturdy. Uh, but I would look at the, you know, I would look at the, the ruck and I would, I would look at the crumbs and, and the people who played in the midfield and they were just so lithe and 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 just gorgeous and i would i would want their body so badly but then they would come up to me and be like damn i wish i had your body and so there's there's no winning because we've all just been told that whatever we have is not okay and then now that i've, I've gained a little bit of weight because i'm not a national athlete anymore imagine that happening um i look back at these these photos and videos of me when i was like playing football and i was like damn i looked good but I, I couldn't see it at the time because I was so concerned with 
wanting to look like something else or wanting to be with some or be somebody else or I really need to change my diet I need to work out more I need to do more squats I need to do more push-ups and maybe I do but at the end of the day like you know I just I just bought some new clothes for the first time in a long time and I didn't care that the sizes were different I just was like I look good and I'm I'm delighted by it and it's fine well I figure you might as well feel happy and comfortable in your body or as happy and comfortable as you can uh, because it's not getting better. Like yeah, life I mean, is a process of degeneration. Exactly. I mean, yeah, sure. I could, I could start, I could start doing sit-ups and push-ups and squats and lunges again. And hey, maybe things will tighten up again. Maybe I will start eating like an adult again. <laughs> um, but it's I'm just baby food. Yeah. Mashed, <laughs> mashed potato and peas. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. That's what I'm eating. Uh, <laughs> comes out of a little squirt bag. Uh, but. Uh, I'm sure in a few years I'll look at pictures from me now and I'll be like, damn, I looked good. And then why, why bother? Like my 98 year old grandmother, every once in a while, she'll just be like, I was beautiful when I was young. And she, she repeats it so often that it's like, what is she trying to convey? Yeah. What is, did she not take advantage of that beauty? Did she not realize it until a long time? Does she not think she's beautiful now? Like, how, are you, how is she 98 and she's still preoccupied? Not preoccupied, but there's still that idea of having to be beautiful and having to justify your existence by saying, well, there was a t- I might not be beautiful anymore, but I was. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, I, I think the, the, that's really interesting. I think, I, I don't know, I think if you eat a reasonable amount and do a reasonable amount of exercise, what you get at the end of that is your body and you might as well be happy with it yeah i mean beyond that if you want to make a statement if you want to be sort of very strong or Mm -hmm. very fit or very beautiful if it's part of your job then that's sort of an additional investment that you're making into something which does reap rewards in society if you're attractive then there are certain benefits that you get Mm -hmm. like statistically they've done studies yeah (laughs) you know like you get uh, i think it's something like at least in america Something like every 10 pounds heavier you are, you lose 3% of, uh, of your salary. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. Um, and I'm not sure if there's, like a, if there's a curve to that graph mm-hmm. or if it's a straight line. Uh, but that is, you know, that's clearly a problem. Oh, yeah. It's... But it because I mean even if you're even if you're you've got an eating disorder of some kind even if you're overweight is a manifestation of a mental health issue there are plenty of other mental health issues going around that are much less visible but yeah. are much more likely to take you out of work mm-hmm. I mean the the opposite direction for example you know anorexia and bulimia yeah. they are, have the highest mortality rate oh it's deb- debilitating and horrible of any mental illness mm-hmm. like including schizophrenia and all of the da- ones that we consider dangerous you know you are more likely to die of your mental illness if you have anorexia than if you are suicidal like if that's your only diagnosis yeah. is that you have suicidal ideation you are less likely to die from that than you are from an eating disorder which to me is <laughs> not to be uh, on PC but that's insane <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's. Ugh, I don't know, man. Let's just gear up for the apocalypse and hope that the world that comes next is better. 
Look, I hope <laughs> if the apocalypse is going to happen in my lifetime, I hope it happens in the next sort of five years because uh, I'll, I'll still be fit enough to deal with exactly. it. Exactly. I, I have an apocalypse plan for Canada. I haven't developed one for Australia yet. Look, so I've got childbearing hips and basic carpentry skills. I'll be okay if yeah. the apocalypse happens in the next five years. Oh, Otherwise, man. I am so screwed. I had a doctor once be like, I, I, I don't mean to offend you, but God made you to make babies. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Apparently, even my uh, cervix is at the appropriate angle for babies to just slide right on out of there. Wow. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know that I, I even want that to take place anymore. And I'm 31 and I got nothing going on. So Sometimes I feel, you know, that the only solution to the increasing numbers of idiots in the world is for us to outbreed them. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is the higher education level you have, the fewer children you'll have, statistically uh, yeah. speaking. Yeah. Oh, oh, we no. need to flip that switch. Yeah. Got to put my master's degree to good use and start making babies. <laughs> no, yeah. thank you. I don't know. I, I probably, at this point, I would just adopt. There's lots of little wonderful muffins out there that... Uh, Are otherwise going to have terrible lives. Yeah. Can help those little guys out. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right now, I'm just trying to sell tickets to a show. <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. Comedy is a roller coaster. Yeah. It really is really is. So w what is your show? Tell people about your show. My Send them to your show. Oh, my show is called Jillian English is a Bitter Shrew. Imagine that. Uh... <laughs> When I was doing my show, Drag Queen Stole My Dress in Montreal, I had a, a reviewer come to the show, and he didn't like it. And more specifically, he did not like me. Uh, I really, just as a side note, I really enjoy reading bad reviews of acts that I think are amazing. Mm -hmm. Because it just reminds me that reviewers are just idiots with opinions. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it took a, several festivals for me to realize that reviews are a crapshoot. And don't matter and awards are a crapshoot and don't matter well by definition if you're doing anything interesting you're going to alienate some people in the audience yeah. and whether or not that person who is alienated is the reviewer or not that's you got yeah, as very you say, little crapshoot. Yeah. So I had, I had this guy come in Montreal and Drag Queen Stole My Dress is all about how I called off my wedding. So um I, I go into, I don't delve too deep into the emotional and psychological abuse because that ain't funny. Uh, but I, I touch on it a little bit. And uh, this reviewer thought that I should have stayed with my ex. I should have helped him. I should have sacrificed my own life and, and dreams to, to support him because that is what women should do for their men. Um, and that the review pretty much said as much. And it included the words, Jillian English is a bitter shrew. And it was the first truly negative review of my work I'd ever received. And I had no idea how to process it. I didn't know. I was like, well, do I stop now? Like, do I just, do I just quit? Am I terrible? Um, and John Bennett actually came and got me. He, he's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to leave the house. You're going to take a shower, maybe. Uh, we're going <laughs> to eat. We're going to eat some food. Um, and we're not going to worry about it. And he said to me, he's like, I could quote to you, every negative review I've ever had in every city I've ever toured in the world because it hurts. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're going to do something else. Someone's going to love it. That review is going to get buried in your Google search history. And so it, it doesn't matter. And so I kept on doing my show and I got great reviews and, and things, things moved on. But then I, that it stuck with me that someone 
I struck such a chord with him, he felt the need to type the words and publish them. Jillian English is a bitter shrew. And it's only women being called bitter shrews. Men aren't being called bitter shrews. And it's only women being called bitter shrews by men. So I thought, well, let's examine this. Because people call me that. Um, I've, I've, I've get called a lot of stuff. So I was like, why, why is it? What is it about me that it is so easy for people to call me these names? So mm. let's examine my interactions with men and specifically the romantic interactions with men. So it kind of goes through um, like the structures of a relationship. I have my first sexual experience, then messages I get on dating websites, one night stands and actual relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's, it's an examination of my romantic history with men to try to figure out, am I actually a bitter shrew or is that a thing that doesn't exist and you need to stop worrying about what other people say and think about you? Because if they're going to call you that, that says a lot more about them than it does about you. So that's my show. And it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, farts in there, too, because <laughs> I'm uh, trying to subvert heteronormative gender ideals <laughs> by being disgusting. <laughs> well, uh I have not seen this particular show, but I've seen you do spots around town and you are hilarious. Oh, so thank you. I would highly recommend if you're in Adelaide or Melbourne International yep. Comedy Festival, go and see Gillian English. You also have a podcast that you do? Yeah, I have a podcast called The Corporate Box. I do that with Ange Thompson and Vicky Hanlon, and it is about the new uh, AFLW, the Women's Football League. So uh, we talk about the games, we talk about the, the players and, and all the different things that are happening with that league because it's the very first season and it's so exciting uh, I went to my first game on Sunday and I was really nervous it was the first actual football game I've been to in three years and I, I was really scared because I have PTSD from what happened to me um, I was very afraid that I would have an attack I was afraid when that when you say PTSD how does that manifest if you don't mind uh, it manifests mostly um, in, in uh, pretty debilitating anxiety attacks if I'm being uh, harassed in, in a specific way. So like if, if someone comes up and, and, and tries to grab me from behind like they did when I, when I was attacked, um, I, I pretty much collapse. I have, I start to hyperventilate. I start to cry. The, the world goes black. I have no, like I had someone, someone did that to me. Uh, they they um, grabbed me from behind in a really aggressive and, and non-friendly manner last year in Perth. And I had to be carried out of the budgie because I, I just couldn't process what was happening to me. And what would you say to people who say that that's just oh, self-indulgence and you should be able to pull up your socks? Yeah, I tell them to go fuck themselves and, and that it, what happened to me is not my fault. Yeah. And I go to therapy. I discuss it with my psychologist. But a very traumatic thing happened to me and that was not my fault. And my body and my mind are processing that event as quickly as they can. So if something similar to that happens and it triggers a psychological and and visceral and physical response, that that is my body trying to make itself safe again in any capacity. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having PTSD. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you have PTSD. Um, And that there's, there's nothing wrong with having an anxiety attack that means your friends have to carry you out of an artist bar. Uh, I don't want to have this. I don't want that to happen, but that is what happens. And it's only happened a couple of times, but it's, it's very real. Um, and it's, it's I, a frightening I, thing to happen it, as it's, well in it, itself. It's really quite terrifying. Um, 
and it was just because of a big scary man who who thought um, he thought he was entitled to my body. Uh, he'd ask me how he could go about fucking me. And I said, if I wanted it, I would have had it already, so leave me alone. And the next day, he, he wasn't impressed with that. So he just he got really in my physical space. And he kind of, he, and he knew what had happened to me as well. So he knew damn well what he was doing by coming at me from behind. And just like, he grabbed me and was like, how do you like playing the victim? And just like, it was, it was hellish. Um, That's so aggressive. Yeah, it's very aggressive. But, and, and if, and then I, immediately the world went black and like my friends had to, physically support me to get me out of there because I just uh, couldn't. Serves him right. Uh, yeah. I hope it gave him a nasty shock. I, the, one, the analogy that I tend to use is um, because I think most people have this as a kind of a, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but if you've ever eaten something and been sick, either as a result of it or in co- correlation with it, and you can just never eat that thing again, if someone offers you prawns, you go, uh-uh, yeah. like that. It, it's not something that you choose to have yeah, a reaction I to. I don't. I can't. I can't eat rocket. Okay, arugula. I I would love to eat it. It hits my tum- my stomach, and I, it immediately goes nope. And so, uh, it's it's like that. Um, uh, it's not a thing I have control over, and I'm I'm working through it as best I can. But I'm also. I'm all about loving and protecting myself because no one else is going to do that for me. So if I know what something's going to do to me, I'm, I'm going to be very aware of that. I'm going to be very protective of myself to make sure that I am in a safe space for me. Um, and, and I don't care if someone thinks that's self-indulgent because I'm going to look after myself. If I don't, nobody else will. So, hey, you don't want me to look after me? Go fuck yourself. That's not your concern. You live your life. I'm going to live mine. But anyway, I did go to the football and... I was okay. I I really I really enjoyed it. I saw Adelaide win at home. They had a, a stunning comeback. Yes, it was a very low scoring game, but it was still a really really interesting game for me to watch because I hadn't seen any football of any kind for three years because I just I didn't know if I could do it. But I'm so excited about this new league and 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 the podcast that I I went and uh, and it was great. I may even have a kick myself. I may even try, but I but I'm also aware that. I could have a very negative reaction. So I want to make sure that when I do go have a kick that I'm with very supportive people and, and that it's a safe thing to do. And if anyone out there uh, is going through something very difficult, don't ever let other people make you feel ashamed. Again, that says more about them than it does about you. Yeah, so it's hard to remember that, but it's a worthwhile thing it to is, remember. It is very hard to remember, um, especially when you're being made to feel really small and you might be in an emotional state where it's easy to feel as though you're small and you, you should be little and you, sh- you shouldn't uh, value yourself or, or be entitled to the emotions that you're feeling. But I- even if it takes a while afterwards to remember that this is your life. Mm. Nobody else gets to tell you how you should live your life. They have theirs. You do you. Yeah, there are no non-player characters in this life. Yeah. You're not there for somebody else's game. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. You're having tea with us.
This stuff is mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Loudy rifle, doll, loudy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your hands. Loudy rifle, doll, loudy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our end up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifles all, lally rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifle doll, lally rifle day.